For victims of human trafficking, basic medical care often looks like a threat to the trafficker's bottom line. Trafficking victims are usually not allowed to speak or seek medical staff when needed. The lack of medical attention can have lifelong consequences. Polaris found in 2017 that medical staff come into contact with victims of trafficking more often than most. A survey on sex trafficking victims in the UK shared that 88% of victims surveyed had interacted within the hospital settings. Another survey was done on both sex and labor trafficking and over half of the participants had reported interacting in the healthcare system. Nearly 97% of them received no information on human trafficking. The survivor who did receive services on human trafficking was able to get out of their situation that day. Hello everyone, my name is Annika Huff and I'm a training specialist for Truckers Against Trafficking or TAT and you're listening to our podcast called Driving Freedom. I'm excited to be on the podcast today as your host. Normally I'm behind the scenes as the editor and the co-producer of the last two seasons of the podcast. So it's nice to be able to have this conversation cast with my friend Christine Sisa. Christine is a graduate from Fuller Theological Seminary with a master's in intercultural studies. Christine currently serves as a coordinator of services at the Avery Center. Most recently, Christine had worked with Dignity Health responding to victims of violence and survivors of human trafficking and provided emergency services. She is also a published author, including the tip sheet in 2021 on familial trafficking and is an expert in human trafficking in adolescence. So Christine, I have worked with you off and on since 2017, I believe is when I first met you. And we have crossed paths over and over again since then. And I just think about how far we've come within the survivor community and how much we have grown into our specific areas of expertise in our work. And it's really great to have you on the podcast today. Yes, thank you so much, Anika. I very much appreciate the chance and the ability to share and be on this podcast. It's such a great opportunity to just and share. It's always good to be able to look back and see where we've come from and and to see the growth. I mean, even looking back at 2017, that seems like a lifetime ago now. But yeah. So thank you. I look forward to having this conversation with you. Christine, you have so much knowledge to share with our audience today from the importance of being a survivor advocate in the movement and how important that is for the survivors you've worked with throughout their healing process. The work that you've done system-wide within hospitals in the local downtown LA area and your expertise with familial trafficking. We could talk for hours because of the amount of information that you know and the different levels of expertise you have in all these different different categories, but I'd like to start by having you share a little bit about your work within the hospitals and what that experience was like for you and for the staff that you worked with and ultimately the patients that you worked with on a day-to-day basis. Yes, thank you so much. Working in the healthcare system was honestly one of the best experiences of my life. I was so fortunate to be given this opportunity to be able to be part of an amazing healthcare system, which was Dignity Health, who truly valued the leadership of survivor leaders. In the healthcare system, my emergency director told me early on, we meet people on the worst days of their lives. And it is our compassion, our care, and our human kindness that can make all the difference in their lives. Part of my role was providing education to the staff through daily roundings, huddles, developing manuals, and especially the most important part was developing relationships. So the developing of the relationship of the clinical staff is what made the critical difference in helping this team, this healthcare team, 
go from understanding the difference between seeing a victim as an individual in the community with a problem or as a cause of, you know, almost a nuisance in the community and someone who truly had experienced violence and in part of a systemic issue and was in need of assistance. They were able to see that these patients, like all of our patients, needed to be provided with dignity. And as a result, the healthcare setting for many was a safe place to disclose what they had been through and that many thought they could never say. And many didn't even know how to identify. For some, at least, it was a start of a new day and a new life. For some of the staff, they were to process and challenge their perceptions that they what they thought human trafficking was. It was not what they had seen in Hollywood. And for others, it was deeply painful because they knew someone who had experienced human trafficking or domestic violence had been in their family or someone they knew. It's different than doing uh, procedures that they've done a million times than saving someone with a heart attack. For many, because of this, they felt they were truly saving lives. And in this way, they were saving someone who was truly suffering, but it had to be the patient's choice. Before coming to TAT full-time, a lot of my work was in the medical field. It was a way that I had escaped my my trafficking personally. So when I got out of trafficking and got into the anti-trafficking movement, I felt like it was a safe place for a lot of the same reasons you're talking about, to get into the field and to make a difference. Can you share with our listeners the importance of having community members like hospital staff, firefighters, teachers, really anyone who is interacting with other people? to have a good understanding of what human trafficking is and what it can look like in the United States? Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. It's so important that anyone who's working in the community, like in any capacity, even those who are working in things like they think won't make a difference, but actually could, such as working in a store or something like that, would be educated. Because the reality is that human trafficking is happening in every state, in all 50 states, and survivors are every demographic, in both male, female, adults, and children. So the reality is it's critical to have community members like those working in healthcare, emergency medical services, educators, and others in the community to be knowledgeable about human trafficking and be able to identify and respond to survivors in need. Human trafficking is happening in all of these aspects. And most survivors, when we talk with them, they're not being held in a basement somewhere. They're moving about in our communities. They may be watched in some way, but they are intersecting with these community stakeholders. Oftentimes people just didn't realize that it was happening. And so if these community stakeholders are aware of the indicators and how to help someone who's in their community, that can make all the difference in their life. When EMS, we're able to bring someone in and say right away, you need to call that advocate, it cut down a ton of time for us and it was so much more helpful. Your work with in the hospital system was both system-wide and on that individual basis with those nurses like you were sharing before. And whether that was working with the nurses, the doctors, or the patients, This is a lot like what TAT does on a system level. We ask for companies to get involved as part of their company culture, but we also ask the drivers to be able to do the training and learn and keep their eyes open and ears open for things that are going on on the highways. What were some of the helpful steps and tips that you utilized in your work within the healthcare system, whether that was system-wide or on an individual basis? 
Yes, thank you. So I think the first thing for everyone, regardless of their role, is they should go through some type of human trafficking 101 training, because that is extremely valuable to basically know the the basics of human trafficking. That's one of the first things that we did. And, and one of the things I really appreciated is that it wasn't just the administrators, right? Because they're not really the ones that are making the direct contact with patients. They make some, but we want them to have everyone be educated because sometimes people will seem very, basically hold it together in front of someone that looks like really important, very corporate. But if environmental services comes in to clean their room, they might show a ton of indicators or basically not hold their guard up. Regardless of what your role is, um, your profession is, you, you are able to see human trafficking. And one of the things I say is like, once you learn about these crimes, once you learn about the way people are being mistreated and used and abused, you can't unknow it. You can't unsee it. And so that's one of the first things I would say is to just be trained. So another thing we would do is provide education to our staff in small pieces regularly because people get overwhelmed with all the things they need to remember. These are the five indicators we're looking for. Or these are the 10 indicators we're looking for. Within the hospital staff, we provided a binder. So when they forgot, when they're like, okay, we think we have a human trafficking victim here, then they could go to the binder to remember. So in some type of form of transportation, maybe you have a manual you refer to or you have something in your vehicle or those kind of things like emergency card or if an emergency happens, those kind of things. Like what do I do if I see someone? Who do I call? What's the emergency? Those kind of things because the thing is we don't handle emergencies often and when our adrenaline kicks in, we often forget. And some basic things that provide human dignity. I know these things might seem a little basic, but to be honest, they made all the difference in people's lives. A lot of people have been so mistreated in their life. Some survivors would see like, I just thought this was how life was. Because some individuals went from living in a home that was abusive and neglectful to then having a boyfriend that was a, treated them in an abusive way to them being trafficked by that person. So I met with people that just thought that they could never have anything better. And so they didn't know they could speak up. They didn't know they could say anything differently than that. And especially someone is a minor, they don't know or they're, they've been told they'll be turned in by law enforcement or foster care or whatever. And so they don't know they can speak up. So some things that just provide some basic level of human dignity and things could include providing food. People often haven't eaten for a while. Asking them, simply asking them, how are you? You know, like, I know you went through a lot today to get here. That was something really horrible that happened to you. You're doing okay. And just pausing, stopping from a rushing and pausing and looking them in the eyes. And that level of dignity of actually looking someone in the eyes and would sometimes bring people to tears, honestly, letting them know they're safe. This can be done specifically in healthcare settings because we can control who comes in and comes out. We can put somebody by the nurse's station or in a secured setting. And when we've told people you're safe here, they've literally start, even the toughest of tough have started crying. 
in hospitals, they often have a clothing closet, which is basically like a donation closet. But I've had people literally say, I don't want my clothes back. Can you get me a different t-shirt or, or set up clothes? Because they will remind them of what they've been through. And that kind of basic human dignity has gone an immense way. Th- those are some basic tips that has really helped their staff. There's a couple things that I do want to highlight that you had talked about or touched on. In the hospital setting, you can monitor who is coming in and out of the hospital. What we specifically at TAD ask is if you are not already interacting with that potential victim of trafficking, whether that you're in the trucking or bus industry, we suggest that you report what you see, giving actionable details. You don't want to put anyone in harm's way. So always reporting that information to either the National Human Trafficking Hotline or a law enforcement officer. The other things I I want to highlight that you shared was that you immediately did training. TAT does have a training video for busing, trucking, and within the energy industries. So I think that that is very similar to what um, you guys have done at Dignity Health as well. We do have the wallet cards available that are available in digital on the TAT app or hard copies. And that gives you those basic things to watch out for and what information that you can give to law enforcement if you see a potential victim. So like I said, TAT works with the trucking, bus, and energy industry. We like to bring it back to those industry members, if you can, Christine. Where do you see our industries intersecting with these populations? We have training videos for trucking, bus, uh, school bus drivers, energy within casinos, and different places that intersect with these different groups. As a survivor and as someone who's been a survivor expert in the human trafficking movement, where do you think this information could be helpful for our audience? Yeah, I mean, that's a very wide audience, but I'm sure, you know, your trainings are specified to within those each of those areas. I think just knowing the indicators within your field, because specifically, like someone that's working in a casino is extremely different than someone's working in a school bus. Like I said before, like traffic, human trafficking is happening in every state and every community. It's happening in plain sight. The first thing I thought when I I saw this question was, if something just seems off, probably is. And to be wise about how you would intersect that person, especially if they have a controlling partner with them, it might not be wise to intersect with them, but you report. But I think the school bus thing is very interesting to me because I think that's an area that we're not accessing very much. And I think, you know, if people had seen the signs when I had been trafficked and even a school bus driver said something to me or let me know there was help available to me, I remember I took the school bus and I was being trafficked my entire childhood and no one ever tried to help me. I was being trafficked and I was living at home. You know, like I wasn't taken. I wasn't ever snatched. I wasn't ever kidnapped. I was literally living in my home. So I think the school bus drivers are like actually a goldmine for that 30% of children that are trafficked by their family. And if they can learn the indicators of like what that looks like for school age children, there is almost no one identifying these kids. And I think a lot of people are learning about pimp control trafficking, but it's kind of still an unresourced area. So I think that would be a really great place for them to be able to speak up if a If a kid is being bullied or they just don't want to go home or maybe they get off 
at different stops and take a really long route home because they're afraid to go to their home, that kind of thing. Obviously, there's a lot of transportation that when people are being transported with their traffickers or they're not talking or they don't have any luggage when they're traveling or those kind of things, that would be something to look at. But I think just each person in each area being super aware of what that demographic indicators would look like. Absolutely. And I will say on our school bus transportation video that's new, uh, well, newer to TAT, we've we've come up with it about two years ago now, almost. And Liz Williamson, who's a friend of me and Christine's, is the uh, survivor expert who is featured in that film. And her expertise was shared in the, the wallet cards that are also now available for school bus drivers. Thank you for sharing a little bit of, again, vast, but some of your expertise and knowledge from your work and from your, your own experience about what would be helpful to notice and recognize. What I really want to, as a survivor to survivor, uh, talk about, we talk about how getting a survivor in the room is often a really great resource to survivors who are just getting out of their exploitation or out of their trafficking situation. And I honestly believe that this is a make or break situation with survivors of human trafficking. I often will ask that law enforcement, if possible, could do this. But Christine, you were working in the healthcare system, being able to interact with those patients immediately. And and being able to help them. And I do believe that because of your experience and your connection to other survivors that were getting out of their exploitation, you were able to um, help them and get more people out than a civilian. So I would like to start wrapping up our session today with a question about that. What would you like our listeners to know about survivor connection, survivor advocacy, and how important that can be for somebody getting out of the trafficking? Yes, thank you. I know when I I um I was trafficked and uh, I didn't know that anybody else had ever gone through this. Like there's this whole movement and tons of survivors out there, but when we're being trafficked, we we don't know that. So as a result, it's extremely important for survivor advocates to be involved with this victim response. And I saw it make so much difference when given permission. I would respond to a patient and identify myself immediately as a survivor advocate, as someone who had been there, as someone who had experienced maybe not the exact same things, but things similar to them. And for many, that's all they needed. Like they, you could see this look of like, even if they thought people were judging them or shaming them, like this look of, of kind of relief that someone else had been there, that someone understood what they were talking about, that someone else had that knew what they were going through. And I could just ask them if they wanted help, if they needed someone. And I would spend a lot of time just sitting with them to understand, to listen. And there were some that would only speak through me then, that the physician had to talk through me or they would say, go tell the doctor this or whatever, but, or would want me in the room when the nurse was in there or whatever. But it just helped them to even know someone had their back, like things were gonna be okay now. And I had a lot of people say that, look where you are now. I, that means I can make it too, right? That means I can come out on the other side. That means I can be okay. It helped them have the strength for the day. It helped them be able to do that intake. It helped them and have that conversation or get through because they realized they didn't have to go back. There was life after the life. And there were resources. Most people don't know there's resources. 
all of you out here who want to help them, they don't know you're there. So we want to kind of build that bridge. Thank you, Christine, for your expertise and sharing your experiences with us today. You're making a system-wide change and will have a lifelong impact on many people that you have interacted with, whether that's staff or patients or people you spoke to. So thank you again for speaking with us today. I'm going to be sharing Christine's website in the show notes along with other information from TAT that can help people get trained. For those of you listening today, thank you for caring about this issue and wanting to be part of the solution. If you aren't already and want to become my truckers against trafficking, watch the training video on our homepage and be willing and ready to make the call should you ever suspect that there is human trafficking taking place. As I had shared earlier, we want you to call these potential victims into law enforcement or into the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That hotline number is 888-3737-888. Is your company using TATS free training? Contact us through our website to request materials and get your training supervisor in touch with TAT to get started by spreading this critical message throughout your company. We've seen that the more drivers that are trained means more calls to the hotline and more victims being recovered. Human trafficking is an everywhere crime, so it's an everybody solution. There is hope, and with each of us doing our part, lives will be saved. Thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for being a Truckers Against Trafficking. You truly are driving freedom.